or here's something I can guarantee that you didn't know about me. You ready for this? Because when I tell you this, it's going to change your whole perspective of me. I guarantee it. Growing up, I was an avid, avid horse rider. Yeah, all this on a horse. Yeah, and not only was I an avid horse rider, I'd ride horses every weekend if I could. Um, I, was, I was a confident horse rider. I would call myself an equestrian, right? Skilled horse rider. That is until I turned 13 years old. And when I turned 13, there was something that happened that brought my horse riding career to an abrupt stop. My uncle was a cowboy, and he had this new horse, and this new horse, his name was Skeet. And so uh, my uncle gave me the opportunity to ride Skeet, and if you know anything about new horses, they need to be broken in. And so this horse that he had, Skeet, he put me on him, and we're walking around in the corral. And me, as a confident horse rider, of course, we're walking around in the corral, and it's boring to me, right? I'm 13. I want to I I do like they do in the old westerns, right? I want to be riding that thing out there in the, in the wilderness. I don't want to be walking in a corral. So I kept yelling out. I'm like, this is boring. Come on. This is boring. Give me something fun to do. And so he said, okay, Kellen, I'm going to let you ride skeet. But I got a couple instructions for you, some specific commands that I need to give you before I let you out of this corral to ride skeet. Because you see, when you get going on skeet, he's going to go. And I need you to remember that you need to make sure that you have good posture, that you're relaxed while you're on the horse, and that while you're riding this horse, you have the reins. And when you get ready to bring him to a stop, when you want to slow him down, you need to tighten up on the reins just a little bit. Don't jerk on them. Tighten on them just a little bit until he gets to a point where he's at a full stop. Man, whatever, man. Let me out there to ride this horse. I got it. I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. Just let, let, let me get after it. So he did. Uh, he opens up the gate, and I'm on skeet. And of course, I'm riding skeet. I get him on, and I give him a little kick and a little, let's go. And so let me stop right there and just say, I don't know if skeet was offended <laughs> that I said he was boring or if he just didn't want me on him anymore. But uh, when I said, let's go, he, he, he went. <laughs> he went fast, a lot faster than uh, my skill level was ready for. And so I'm riding on this horse, and of course, I'm nervous and everything. We're riding, and I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I don't know what to do. I need this horse to stop. And so I, I couldn't think of what my uncle had commanded me to do to slow the horse down. So I did everything opposite that he told me to do. I start hitting the horse. Hey, hey, stop, <laughs> stop stop. And I'm jerking on the reins and everything like this to try to get him to stop. And of course, if you jerk the reins, this bit that's in his mouth, that's irritating to the horse. And so all that's doing is probably firing him up and wanting him to get me off. Anyway, so I'm riding on this horse and we're going and going and going and I'm nervous and I happen to look up and what do I see? A fence. A fence is coming. And so this fence is coming and this horse is on a dead sprint towards this fence. There's no, there's no weaving or anything like that. I see this fence coming and all I can think about is he's about to leap over this fence. And so for me, a smart 13-year-old, what do I do? I'm out of here. I, I roll off the side of the horse <laughs> and I fell off the horse, bruised all the sides of my ribs and everything. I fall off of this horse and I have to peek up because I'm anguishing in pain right now and I see this horse headed straight towards the fence. He's going towards the fence, and I'm like, man, he's about to jump this fence. I need to at least see it. He gets to the fence, and he gets ready, and he stops. <laughs> and he turns around and walks right back to the corral. And so meanwhile, I'm sitting here crying on the ground as a 13-year-old. It was a strong, manly cry, though. I was strong about it. Um, I was crying on the ground, hurting, in pain, uh, while this horse was walking back to the corral. And my uncle, being a cowboy that he is, he said, uh, you're going to get back on that horse. And he made me get back on that horse. So that whole like, phrase of get back on the horse, yeah, I lived it. Uh, <laughs> so when people say that, I kind of cringe uh, because I lived it. He made me get back on that horse. Uh, but here's the thing. I, I lost all confidence in riding horses that day because I didn't obey the command. My uncle had given me specific commands to do, and I did not obey them, and I lost all confidence. And I already know, somebody's going to come up to me after service, and they're like, you should get back on the horse. I'm not getting back on the horse, guys. 
Don't, don't worry about it. You don't need to convince me. I, I know what horses can do. I like them, but I won't get back on them. But I didn't obey the commands. And in the Christian life, Jesus gives us specific commands to obey. And when we obey these commands that he gives us, it gives us confidence. It gives us assurance in our relationship with him. But we must obey the commands that he's given us. Otherwise, we will lose confidence. And look, here's the thing about the Christian life. There will be times that all of us within our Christian life will get knocked off the horse, if you will. Right? We will, we will sometimes have doubts, and we will sometimes lose some of that confidence, lose some of that assurance, or we'll sometimes feel like we're, just, we're going backwards in our Christian walk. And what you need to understand is God doesn't want us to, to stay in that state. God wants us to continue to build our confidence, to strengthen our confidence, and move towards him, right? And move towards him by obeying what he's commanded us to do. But here's the thing. It's not just for new Christians, because we can hear that and say, as seasoned Christians, say, you know what? I'm, I'm sure about my faith. I'm confident in my faith. But here's the thing about being a Christian for a long period of time is that you can get in these routines. You get in these routines so much that you start to just do things because that's just how you know how to do them. But you're not getting the output. You're not growing in your relationship. Your confidence is not growing. Your assurance in your relationship with Christ is not going because there's no meaning behind them. They're just part of your routine. So what I want to do this morning is I want to spend time in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me, 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 24, because I think if we look at having assurance in Jesus Christ, then there's no better person to glean it from than the Apostle John. The Apostle John was one of those people that had a close relationship with Jesus Christ. He was in his, his, his small circle, his tight circle. Peter, James, John. That's all you heard every time that Jesus would go somewhere and he would take a few of the disciples. It was Peter, James, and John. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he went to pray, it was Peter, James, and John, right? When he went to uh, the mountain, the transfiguration happened. It was Peter, James, and John that were with him. So John, if anybody knows what it means to be assured of your relationship with Jesus Christ, then it was the Apostle John. And we can glean from him because he had that close relationship with Jesus during his earthly ministry on what you and I can do today to make sure that we continue to build our confidence and build our assurance in Jesus Christ and draw closer to him. So let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 18, John, 1 John chapter 3. It says this, little children, and I love how he starts that, it's this, he has this uh, spiritual father uh, tone as he's starting that, right? He's about to give an exhortation to them. He starts off by saying, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, right? A genuineness to your deeds in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth, which is Jesus, and reassure or persuade our heart before him. And we'll see, keep seeing that word heart. I believe he's talking about our conscience in there, right? You can say your heart, but our conscience, that inner, that inner voice, that inner thought that you have, our hearts is how he puts it. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John's talking to his audience that are, they're being plagued and they're dealing with a lot of false teaching that is happening within the churches, right? They're dealing with this Gnosticism that's coming out and people that are luring the, the church away from what Jesus told them to do uh, in order to be obedient to him, in order to be his disciples, his followers. And many of them, of course, are being, are discouraged and they're doubting their faith. And John wants to get them back to the foundations, get them back to what Jesus taught them on what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is to obey his commands, right? And the most important thing about our passage actually comes at the end, and that's where I want to start uh, with our, our first point. It comes in the end, 
right? We look at verse 23. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he commanded us, right? And so remember, John spent most of well, during Jesus' earthly ministry, John was right there by his side. And so he got to see everything that Jesus was teaching to people, everything that Jesus wanted to convey to his people. John was well aware of that. And he focused and he took this uh, commandment that Jesus gave back in Matthew 22, 35 through, 35 through 40, where Jesus gave the two great commandments. You remember those, right? You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbors. Right, those two commandments, he said that all the, all the commandments, all the commandments of the, the law and the prophets, they depend on that. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. And so John is taking that very same teaching that Jesus gave to the disciples during his earthly ministry. And 50 years later, John is saying, this is what we need to get back to doing. It's no fancy tricks. We don't need to add anything extra to it. We need to get back to what Jesus told us to do. And that's to love God and love others. And so he boils that down at the end of this passage to those two things. And so if John, being one that was right there by Jesus' side, he was close, one of the closest people that relationships to Jesus that anyone had was the Apostle John. John knew 50 years later as he's penning this, this letter uh, to the church that he can go back to what Jesus taught 50 years before then. You and I should know 2,000 years later, we can go back to what Jesus taught all of the people that he was calling to follow him and to be his disciples, and we should do the same exact thing. We should do the same exact thing and obey Jesus' commands, and we should do that continuously all throughout our life. Because if we want assurance that we are with Jesus, that we are, 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 are in Christ, then we need to do what he's commanded us to do. We need to obey his commands continuously. And that's point number one for us this morning is you and I need to obey Jesus' commands. Very simple. Obey Jesus' commands. And I say that not saying obey the ones that are convenient to you, not saying obey the ones that you know, go along with your life right now and you can pick and choose because it's based on your characteristics or based on what you're comfortable with, but obeying all of Jesus' commands, all of them. And this is how we can know that we have confidence in Christ is the more we obey his commands, the more assurance that Christ gives us that we are in him. Verse 23 Verse 23, he says, and this is his command. What does he say right out of the gate? We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel. The gospel. It has to start there. It has to start there because everything else that we're going to talk about this morning, if you don't have Christ, if you don't have the, the spirit indwelt within you, then, then, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your good works don't matter. Right? Your good works matter and they're pleasing to God when you first obey his first command. And that is believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Because you and I, of course, as you know the gospel, you and I, we're, we're separated from God. We're born into sin because of Adam. We're born into sin. There's nothing that we can do about it. And so we start off with this separation from God that there's nothing that we can do to make up for that. And so God, in his grace and mercy, sent his only begotten son, born of a virgin. So he's born different than we are. He's born of a virgin. He lives the perfect life that you and I cannot live. He lives that life, and he dies on the cross. He dies on the cross, takes the punishment that you and I deserve for all of eternity. He takes that on the cross, and then he dies on the cross. But he doesn't just die. He dies on the cross, and he's resurrected from the grave. He, he defeats death so that you and I may have eternal life, that one day you and I, if we put our faith and trust in Christ and we repent from our sins, that you and I will too resurrect and be with Jesus. So he takes that punishment that we deserve, and he, ra he ra raises from the, the dead. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. But we need to understand that truth. We need to understand that all of us, every person walking the face of this earth, needs the gospel. They need a Savior because we can't do it on our own. And we must get that right first. We must start off with that, and we must know that we have to surrender our life to Christ. We need to live for him as if he's the boss of our life. It has to start there. Because if we don't surrender our life to Christ, then the rest of this doesn't matter. We cannot be pleasing to God until we surrender our life to Christ. But then once we've surrendered our life to Christ, then it's summed up in the rest of these commands. Again, he pulls from Jesus. We love God by surrendering our life to Christ, right? We understand that he, Jesus, is our Lord and Savior that we need for eternal life. We have to have him. We get indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But then the second command is we, we love others. Then we go out and we love others. 
right? We love others. And you cannot love others and you cannot love God and you cannot obey Jesus' commands, as we're talking about in the point, without knowing his word, without opening up the word. It just can't happen. We have to be in God's word. We have to understand what he's commanded us to do. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on, you know, somebody else's life. It's not based on what, what, what an opinion. It's based on God's written word, what he's given us to obey. I love this quote by D.L. Uh, DL Moody. He says this. He says, the Bible will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. I mean, that should make you go, mm, mm. That's one of those, that's one of those, those quotes, right? The Bible will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible, right? And so if we're not in the Bible, we don't understand what God is, has commanded us, then how can we obey him? How can we obey him? Because you wouldn't treat your job like that, right? If you had a job that you really cared about, that you wanted to do well, I guarantee you, you wouldn't just kind of fly by the seat of your pants with your job. You wouldn't just assume things about your job. You wouldn't just, just, just try to do your job based on feelings. No, you would, you, would, you, would, you would find out what your supervisor wanted. You would find out what their expectations were. You would find out what they wanted from you each and every day so you can make sure that you're doing what your supervisor wants. Right, you would examine yourself. You would make sure that you are ready, you are equipped, you are doing a good job, even from your own standards, with that job. You would examine your own heart. And then, not even that, you would have, you would have counsel. You would talk to your peers, your coworkers, and just to, to make sure that y'all are on the same page. You're doing the same work that they're doing. Y'all are on the same page about the work that is to be done. You would make sure, you would go above and beyond to make sure that you're obeying the commands of that job. We need to understand that following Christ, there's, there shouldn't be any difference with that. Matter of fact, it should be even more important, of course. It should be more important in your job. You should, make sure, you should want to make sure that you are being obedient to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and his commands by being in the Word, by studying the Word, by praying, by being in discipleship, right? We talk about those other peers and coworkers, but you should want to do that all the more because it's that much more important than your job. But oftentimes we get in this, these routines of like, ah, I got this Christian thing figured out. You know what? I, I, I've been doing it for a decade. I, I know how to live the Christian life. I, I know Bible verses. I, can, I, I know theology. I know all the doctrine and all that stuff. We get comfortable. But we must be in God's word in order to obey his commandments. But guess what? It, it, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy because... This passage tells us, I talked about it already, the heart, right? Our, our conscience, our, our, our flesh wants to go elsewhere. Our flesh wants to do the things that we want to do. It's always luring us to do things that make us happy. And then guess what? The world is on that side too. The world is constantly trying to pull us to do things that, 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 that give us self, self-confidence, right? That, that promote self. But Jesus all the while is saying, I want you over here and I want you living for me. And so the world and, and your flesh is opposite of what we should be doing in Christ. And following Jesus during John's time, as he's, as he's giving this letter to his audience, was countercultural. And guess what it is today? It's countercultural, right? It's, it's completely different than what this world is made up to be. This world is not made up to follow Jesus. It's made to follow into destruction, follow the evil one, right? Follow ourselves. But Jesus is saying, we need to follow him. We need to obey his commands. And here's what's great about God's mercy and his grace. He doesn't leave us by ourselves. He doesn't leave us just aimlessly floating around trying to figure it out, right? Because even in our passage, he says this at the end. He says at the end of verse 24, by the Spirit, by the Spirit whom he has given us. That gives us assurance that we are following Jesus by the Spirit. Jesus calls him in John 16, the helper, the helper. Jesus gives us the helper that's going to continue to allow us to glorify him while he's ascended to heaven. Because you can imagine his disciples were probably like, whoa, 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 where are you going, Jesus? I, I kind of like when you were here because you could tell me everything to do. You can kind of guide me on my path. You could keep me straight. But Jesus said, no, it, it, it's better for me to go because I'm going to send you the helper. And when I send you the helper, he's going to, as John 16 describes him, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Right? And so he's going to convict the world. He's going to allow us to, as believers to see, be able to see a clear difference between the sin in the world and righteousness, and we keep our eyes on the judgment that is to come. And then it says this about the, 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 the Spirit as well. He's, he's going to lead us and guide us into all truth, lead us into truth. 
And so our, our, our whole mindset, our whole, our whole makeup as Christians is we, we want truth, right? We want to continue to pursue truth. That, that's the helper in us. That's the spirit in us that allows us to know that we are pursuing Jesus. And this is the last thing that Jesus says in John 16 about the helper, the spirit. He says he, his, his whole role is to glorify Jesus. That's the role of the spirit. The spirit is working within you to glorify Jesus. And he's doing that all the time, consistently. And you and I need to obey even the promptings from the Spirit that is helping us to glorify Jesus, to promote Jesus, to be a light in this world. Paul tells us more about the, the, the Spirit in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, jot that verse down. Here's what Paul says about the Spirit. He says, in him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, right, believed in Jesus, here's what happens. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, right? At the point of salvation, believers are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So God just doesn't leave us aimlessly thinking or wondering, I don't know him. Am I with him? Am I not? The Spirit is there. The Spirit abides in us, and it gives us assurance. It gives us confidence that we abide in Christ. The Spirit is our guarantee. It's our guarantee of our salvation, and we should think about the Spirit more, because oftentimes we, we, we don't think about the Spirit. We think about the Father, we think about the Son, and then the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, sort of gets lost in translation there. But here's why we need to focus on the Spirit, because the Spirit is the one guiding us today. The Spirit is the one building Jesus' church today through us, and He's here to help us obey Jesus' commands. going back to the beginning of our passage, now that we have the understanding of what it means to be in Christ, the understanding that as Christians we are dwelt with the, indwelt with the Spirit that is helping us to glorify Christ, John gives us the action that needs to reflect in our lives to help us have assurance and confidence that we are in Christ. Verse 18 says this, again, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Let me ask you this question. Uh, conscience, Holy Spirit. All right, we talk about the conscience a lot with non-Christians, right? The, the conscience bears witness to God's creation, to his holiness, right? We have a conscience that tells us right from wrong. Uh, what happens when we get into what with the Holy Spirit as Christians? I mean, it's a great question, right? Do, do, do we, does that just boot the conscience out and it's just the Holy Spirit working? Do we have both of them kind of roommates together? What, what, what happens? I mean, it's a good question that we all need to ponder and we all need to know the answer to. And the question is, your conscience is still there. You are indwelt, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit, but yet your conscience is still there. But you need to understand that there's a difference between the two. Because if you don't understand the difference between what your conscience is saying versus the Holy Spirit and what he's leading you and guiding you to towards truth, towards glorifying Jesus Christ, then you can easily be deceived. And it sounds like this when somebody says, ah, the Spirit is leading me to do that. You're like, that sounds a little funky, but I, I guess the Spirit's leading. I can't say anything, right? We need to understand the role of the conscience in our life and the role of the Spirit and who's talking to us because both of them have an inner voice within us. Both of them are trying to lead us to different destinations. And I'll tell you that here in a second, but we need to understand that there's a difference between the two. Um, here's one thing I'm not good at. Not that it's only one thing. Was, <laughs> that would sound pretty arrogant. Um, there's a lot of things I'm not good at. Here's, here's one uh, of the things I'm not good at is telling the difference between identical twins. I don't know the difference, y'all. And if you're an identical twin, I'm sorry, because uh, I might call you the wrong name. I, I just don't know. I mean, they, they appear the same to me. They look the same. And I probably offended some identical twins. I'm sorry. You're special. You're unique. I, I love you. But if you come around me, just wear a name tag. So, because <laughs> I don't know. Um, Pastor PJ, y'all remember when he was here, his uh, two youngest, he had twins. Identical twins, John and Sam. And I'm familiar with that family. I'm very close with them. I couldn't tell these two dudes apart, man. Like every time they come up, I'm like, hey, Sam. He's like, my name is John. I'm like, you know what I mean. Come over here, boy. 
Um, I, I just can't tell the difference, right? I, but here's the thing. Parents can tell the difference. The parents can tell the difference. Why? Because they know their tendencies. I mean, they know everything about them. They know them like complete, they're completely two different people, even though they look exactly the same. I mean, they can tell difference. They know who's the loud one. They know who's the quiet one. They know who's the messy one. They know who's the clean one. I mean, they can sit in an opposite room, and they can hear one of them crying and say, yep, yep, that's that one. I can tell by the high-pitched scream, that's that one. They just know it. it, it it's awesome. It's, it's like a gift uh, that I don't obviously have. But here's the thing with, between the Holy Spirit and our conscience. You and I need to know the tendencies so we can tell the difference, so that we're not deceived thinking that oh, this is the Holy Spirit prompting us when all reality is it's, it's, the con- it's our conscience, it's our heart, it's our flesh telling us this is what we should do, and we're masking it with the Holy Spirit when it was never the Holy Spirit in the first place. You need to know the tendencies. You need to know the difference between the two, and here they are. The conscience, when you think about the conscience, we're all born with the conscience. We're all born with the conscience. It's general revelation. It's what God gives every human being in order to be able to see and know uh, just that he exists, right? Romans 2.15 tells us that, that uh, God, it reveals that there is a God, right? God bears witness through creation and all of that because we all have a conscience. So even your non-Christian neighbor can tell that there is a God because somebody's created all of this. Somebody's created all of us. And so that points and bears witness that there is a God. It tells us the difference between right and wrong. So conscience is not always a bad thing. I don't want to say like it's horrible because it tells us right from wrong. It tells us like if we're doing something that we probably shouldn't be doing, we kind of get that weird feeling and it's like, ah, yeah, that's our conscience talking. So it's not a bad thing. But then understanding that our conscience evolves, right? It, it grows uh, with, with now, it grows in knowledge, it grows in experience, it, it grows with, with, with our feelings, all that. It continues to evolve with us. And here's the big thing that you need to understand about your conscience. The big thing is the conscience has a bias. And guess what the bias is for your conscience? You. The bias is you. It wants the best for you. And so it's always going to look out for you. It's always going to protect you. It's always going to want happiness for you. That's your conscience. Holy Spirit is different. Holy Spirit is indwelt only in believers. It's indwelt in us at the point of salvation. We become indwelt with the Holy Spirit that is God in us. And it allows us to see special revelations. That's different. Special revelation is what God is able to communicate to us to allow us to see him, to allow us to see Jesus in all things. If you're a believer in here, there's been certain circumstances where you look at something, you're like, nah, I see God's hand working all over that, right? That divine appointment that happened, that's, that's all God. Where a non-believer will look at it and say, looks like just a coincidence to me, right? right? Because you have special revelation. You're able to see God's hand working in all things and you're able to see it and point it to Jesus, right? And here's the bias that the Holy Spirit has, because he has a bias too. The Holy Spirit has a bias towards Jesus. Jesus. That's who the Holy Spirit is worried about and concerned about, is promoting Jesus and glorifying Jesus. Not caring about you. He's going to use you. He's going to guide you to glorify Jesus. That's the biggest difference. And you can always find in Scripture what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. You won't always find what your conscience is telling you to do, but anytime the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, you can flip the page of Scripture and you can say, wow, wow that, that seemed glorifying to God to me. That seemed glorifying to Christ. It's, here's an example of it right here because this is exactly what God wants. We can always find it supported in Scripture because it's going to lead us to obey Jesus' commands. And one of his commands is to love others, right? In our passage, love others. And not just love others in, in word or talk and in doctrine or just talking about how we would love others if we had the chance or our Jesus' love and I, I, I love people too. No, he, he's saying do it in, in, in deed and in truth, right, with action. And so it's easy to know the right thing to say, but our faith is, is, it comes to a test when we're, it's actually put in front of us. Do we do it or not? Do we just talk about it or do we actually do it? And more often than not, when we have an opportunity to, to have action, to love people in an action-oriented way, it's going to come with a sacrifice. And you and I need to understand that and be ready and willing to love others regardless of the sacrifice. And that's point number two for us this morning is love others sacrificially. You and I need to love others sacrificially. Not like the world says love, because the world will say, hey, this is love, and then they define it however they want to define it. But you and I need to go back to God's word and see that God is love, and then we need to obey and follow what he's doing as an example of love. And his love was being able to go to the cross and, and have the ultimate sacrifice, lay down his life so that you and I as sinners can have eternal life. That's love. That's love, right? Sacrificial love. 
sacrificial love, and the reason I use that, that word sacrificially is because we need to be willing to sacrifice. We need to be willing and ready to, to sacrifice our time, sa- sacrifice our effort, sacrifice money, sacrifice energy, all of that stuff. We need to be willing to sacrifice. Because guess what? It's never going to come at the right time. Love typically doesn't happen. Love, loving deeds or loving deeds, opportunities to love do de- Yeah. Um, <laughs> opportunities to do loving deeds don't typically happen when we have an open block on our schedule. Right? It's not like you have, oh, Wednesday at 3 o'clock, I, I'm free to love people. Anybody need love? You, you need love? I can fill you in, right? It doesn't happen like that. Right? It happens when you already have something planned, when you already have something on your agenda, and then somebody says, hey, I have a need. Can you help me here? And all I'm saying is you and I need to be ready to say, you know what? That's more important than what I had planned. Because here's the opportunity I get to love someone as Christ has loved me, and I get to glorify Christ in doing this, right? I get to point them to Christ even more. And so it's always going to come at inconvenient. You expect it to come at inconvenient times, right? And we need to be able to do that. Around here, we call it adipat, anything, any place, anytime, right? Anything, any place, anytime. We're willing to do whatever it is. Wherever there's a need, we want to love others sacrificially, so we're willing to do it. Whatever it is, any place, any time. Right, if somebody needs help watching their kids, right, I would hope with all my kids, the four kids, if I had something to do and I said, hey, I need you to watch my kids, I'd hope you wouldn't be like, you got four, though. You don't just have one. You got a lot. But I hope you'd be like, you know what, bring them all. Bring them all to my house, right, because I, I want to watch your kids. I want to I love you sacrificially. I had plans, but I want to make sure that I love sacrificially because that's how Jesus loved us, right? Even if you have, if somebody's sick or they're in the hospital, not just saying like, ah, oh, man, I no, I'm going to pray for that person. Praying is good. We, we need to be praying for them. But, but, but can you go see them? Right? Because think, they, they can't get here. They're sick and shut in. Can you go see them? Can you sacrifice whatever you were going to do to say, I'm going to go be by your side. I'm going to go pray with you in person because I want to love you sacrificially. Right? You got an open bedroom in your house and you got somebody that's in between homes or they need a place to stay. You saying, you know what? I, you can stay at my house for a little bit. Yeah, I know you, you, you may not make your bed and you might you know, have fragrances and oils and all this stuff, but I can get over my feelings for a while and you can stay there because I want to love you sacrificially. Serving, right? Serving is meeting needs. That's loving sacrificially. Most of the time when you have serving opportunities here at the church, they don't always fit your schedule, right? But you need to be willing to say, I'm willing to adjust my schedule because there's a need and I want to love sacrificially. And so I'm willing to move people, move things around, right? Serving and loving people, both publicly in serving posts, but more importantly, even privately. Because privately, we need to be able to do it when people aren't watching, because we're doing it before Christ. We're doing it to please God, not just so other people see, oh, they're on the connection. No, we, we need to be ready to love sacrificially wherever it is. Turn with me real quick to uh, James 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. Here's another person that was familiar with, with, James, or with Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus. He talks about what it means to have faith, a true faith. And he says this starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith, that faith that he's talking about, can that faith save him, the one that has no works? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, here's an example that he gives. If you have someone like that and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? Right? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Loving someone, sacrificially loving someone requires action. It needs to go from here to here to here, to the feet, right? It needs to have action. It needs to have uh, uh, an example in your life of saying, yeah, that person loves Jesus, and that person loves other people, and I can tell by their life. They don't even have to say a word. I can tell by their life, and right, that's what James, that's what James is talking about here, right? We need to have a faith that is shown in our action, right? Our whole life should be a billboard for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, Right, if somebody didn't even know you, if you didn't get a chance to say anything to someone and we just put your life on the screen, I wonder, would your life say, mm, that person loves Jesus? Or would you have to have commentary to say, well, well, right here, this is what I was thinking and this is what I was doing? No, that's what James is talking about. Our life by itself, our actions within our life should prove the faith that we have. 
Our actions within our life should prove that we love others sacrificially, as Jesus has commanded us to do. There was an old phrase that I used to hear growing up playing sports, and I love the phrase uh, because it just it brought you back down to reality. And it was, uh, don't talk about it, be about it. Don't talk about it, be about it. And that phrase would come up because, you know, sometimes you'd have athletes and they would be talking about, here's what I'm going to do in the game. I'm going to score this amount of points or I'm going to catch this amount of balls or I'm going I'm to I'm I'm play defense this way and all this stuff. And then sometimes the coach would just say, hey, 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 don't talk about it, be about it. I want to hear what you're going to do. Just show me. Show me you're going to do it. Because I'd much rather you show me. That's going to that's gonna do, do something good for our team if you show me. Don't talk about it, right? Don't talk about it, be about it. Does that mean every person that we see on the corner that we need to give them money, we need to do that? No, I'm not saying that because I think you need to have discernment in those situations. What I am saying, however, though, is we need to be ready and willing to love sacrificially. And whenever we love sacrificially, the motivation behind the reason that we love is to point people to Jesus. And so wherever possible, wherever you can, I'm not saying this has to happen every single time, but you should always be trying and aiming to point people to Jesus, opening up, using that opportunity to love someone sacrificially to open up a door to the gospel, right? To pray with someone, to, to, to quote Bible verses, to, to give them scripture, to point them to Jesus. That should always be our motivation in the loving deeds that we do. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but always should be the motivation behind why we do it. It's because Jesus first loved us. As we see in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. You want more assurance and more confidence in your relationship with Christ, we need to do what he did. Right? The pastor says, we shall know. Verse 19, we shall know. We shall know. You can have confidence. You can have assurance in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can know, know, know you are with Christ. Know you will be with Christ for eternity. We obey his commands. We love God and love others. In counseling, sometimes I'll have someone, they, they come and they're, they're sharing their situation, they're sharing their burden, they're sharing what's going on in their life, and oftentimes after they get through sharing uh, whatever it is they have going on in their life, I say, okay, um, who are you gonna, how are you going to meet someone's needs this week? How are you going to serve someone else? And sometimes I'll get this look like, what in the world they got to do with me? <laughs> and here's the thing, it has everything to do with you, everything to do with you. Because once you go take the focus off of yourself and you go love someone else sacrificially, you go meet a need, you go, you, go, you go provide for someone else, that gets the focus off of you and on Christ. And God gives us peace when we do things like that to give us assurance that we're right with him. And oftentimes you forget about whatever you, this, this problem that you had because you're focused now on Jesus. And so loving others sacrificially can help us, can help us with our assurance with Jesus. There was a story about this lady trying to get to uh, Oakland from L.A. She hopped on a train, and, uh, or she'd go into the train station in L.A., and there was just a lot of trains going on. So she asked the guy, hey, which train will get me to Oakland? And the guy pointed her and said, that one will. That train over there will get you to Oakland. So she got on a train, but she didn't seem settled. She's just like, I don't know if I'm going the right way. So she asked someone else, what train will get me to Oakland? Is, it, is this the right train? And there was another guy that told her, yeah, yeah this train will go to Oakland. So she sat back, and she thought, oh, still, still doesn't seem right. I'm going to ask somebody else. And so there was another gal that she saw. She said, hey, is this train going to Oakland? And the gal said, yeah, it's, it's going to Oakland. So she sat back. Something still wasn't right. But the conductor came down the aisle. The guy running the train came down the aisle. She said, excuse me, sir, uh, where's this train going? And the conductor said, this train is going to Oakland. And finally, she was able to sit back and be at peace. She was able to be at peace because of the person that told her. The person that told her was in control over where that train went. The person that told her had more authority than anybody else on that train, and so she was at peace with what she was told. And so in our passage, as we look at this, even though our heart may condemn us, right, we need to go to the person that's in full control. We need to go to the person that knows everything, as John tells us here. Right? He knows everything, and he's greater and that's going to give us assurance, that's going to give us confidence, and that's going to give us peace on where we're headed, on who we're in a relationship with. Because guess what? Our conscience is going to condemn us, right? It's going to condemn you. You're going to have times in your life where you feel like, I feel like I'm just not on the right, right track right now. I'm doubting, right? I'm, I'm, I'm losing my confidence. 
oh, I'm just in this routine and everything, and I, you know, I don't even know why I'm doing things anymore. The conscience is going to condemn you because it's going to work to warn you if you're doing right or, do, or doing wrong, but it can also have an overly sensitive impact to how you do things, right? You can be overly sensitive to sin, which we should hate sin, we should flee from sin, but you can be so guilt-ridden by your con- conscience that you become useless to God. And so whenever your conscience gets you to that place where you've now been guilt-ridden and you feel like, I can't move, I'm almost like stuck here, then we need to remember that God is greater. God's mercy and grace is much greater than our, confidence, our conscience. And we need to be able to know that God wants you to move forward. He doesn't want you to rest in your doubt. God wants you to continue to get back on a horse, as I mentioned, and seek wisdom. Move forward. Get out of isolation. Get out of your feelings and focus on what is true. What is true? Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Right? 1 John 1.9. Jot that down. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get the focus off of you and back on Christ. And let me just make this point again. This is not that we take sin lightly. We need to take sin seriously. We need to flee from sin. But at the same time, if you are a born-again believer, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's grace is greater. It's always greater. And we need to remember that. And when you understand that truth, you can approach God with confidence in your pursuit of him and in your prayer. Back to our passage, last section, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. See, when your conscience is not clear, when you have this guilt that's in your life, when you have this doubt then it can oftentimes impact your prayer life. Your prayer life can be very shallow because you just feel shame. You don't feel right going before God because you lack this confidence. But the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, then he promises to forgive us. And when we do that, when we have a clear conscience going before God in prayer, then we can have full confidence that he's not only going to hear our prayers, but he's going to answer them. He's going to answer our prayers, but that is we need to do the things that are pleasing to him. Do the things that are pleasing to him. And the way we find the things that are pleasing to him is in his word, in God's word. And that's point number three for us this morning is you and I need to pray according to God's word. Pray according to God's word. Because he tells us if we do the things that are pleasing to him, which is it, it's a great thing in itself. That, that's crazy to think about. We can do things. You and I can do things that are pleasing to the creator, pleasing to God. He can be pleased by our actions. That is, that is such a blessing. But then what does that tell us about action, our actions in our Christian life versus our prayer life? It tells us this. It tells us the more we're obedient to God, the more that we do things that are pleasing to him, the more that we are, are seeking to do his will, the more that we get prayers answered. There's a direct connection with that, All right? Because he gives us his word. He gives us the, 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 the written word of God that is right here, written by the Spirit through human authors that you and I can read each and every day, and we can be aligned with what God wants. And what's pleasing to him by reading his word? My wife creates these uh, checklists for the kids in order to clean up the room uh, and clean up the bathroom. And the checklists are great because it gives us an alignment of what the expectation of clean actually is. Because those of you that are parents, you know that uh, kids have a definition of clean and then parents have a definition of clean. And they're complete different opposites, right? They're on complete extreme opposite ends. Uh, but this, this, this checklist gives us an alignment. It allows the kids to know what we expect, and then they know what they need to do to have a a clean room. And so the checklist is great because I can ask my kids, and we're on the same page of what clean means. And I can ask them, hey, is your room clean? And if it's not clean, then I get this sort of, uh, uh, dad, what what, what do you mean by clean? Do you mean like clean, or is it clean, clean? Is it clean, clean, clean? I don't know. Is your room clean? Right, but we have an alignment. That's what I want to know, right? But there, there's a shame. There's this lack of confidence that they have with telling me their room is clean when it doesn't meet the standard, when it doesn't meet what we have given them. But yet, when their room is clean and they've checked off everything on there and it's done well, and I ask them the same question, hey, is your room clean? Hey, come on, let me show you the room. Let me show you the room. I want to show you how I lined up my teddy bears, how I tucked in the sheets this time, right? I, I, I windexed the, the mirror, Dad. I mean, it's, you can see your face, and it's like, okay, thanks. I don't need to see it, but... 
I'm glad. There's just a different amount of confidence that they have when they've obeyed what's been given them. All right, when you and I pray the way that God has given direction in his word, when he has given commandments in his word, when we pray the very things that he has given us, there's a confidence that we can have before God because it's exactly what he's, he's telling us to do. And so when we go pray those very things back, we can have confidence before him. Some of you are in a prayer drought right now. You might be thinking, man, I wish my prayer life was better. And I, sometimes I don't even know what to pray. Here's the thing that you can do. Pray what you're reading in the Bible. Pray the scriptures. That's a great thing. Pray the scriptures. I mean, you just think about what we read in the DBR this morning, Acts chapter 10, right? You have Peter coming to Cornelius, and I love that verse 45. It says, it says the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. Hey, that impacts us today, right? That, that happened in our reading today. The fact that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles allows you and I as Gentiles to be able to be saved, to be dwelt with the Holy Spirit. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. And so guess what? That can turn into your prayer life. You could be praying, giving thanksgiving to God that he's giving, given Gentiles, non-Israelites, the ability to be saved as they are, right? The ability to put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's a great prayer right there. God, thanks for doing that. And then I want to pray that I would have the sensitivity and have the zeal to go out and share the gospel that other Gentiles may be saved, right? That's how we read what we have here, and then we pray. We pray the scriptures. Pray back to what, what God has given us in his word. And when your aim in prayer is to do what pleases him, you won't ever think that, you know, a prayer is too small or a prayer is too big for God because you're, you're, just, you're trying to please him in all you're doing. And so there will be no limitations on your prayer. You'll be praying without ceasing all day long because you understand that you're trying to please him in all you're doing. And God wants nothing more than to answer those prayers when we're seeking to please him. Another verse for you, Psalm 37.4. Psalm 37.4, write this down. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All right, you want to start having your prayers answered? Pray the things that God has given us in his word. Pray the things that God has given us in his word. He's, he's more than happy to answer those according to his will. He says, whatever you ask, you will receive. Whatever you ask, you will receive, John tells us here. And he reiterates that later on in chapter 5, verse 14, 1 John 5, 14. He says this, and the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Here's the thing. God never promised to answer any prayer that you send up. He never promised to answer any prayer that you send up. What he did promise, that he will answer any prayer according to his will. He'll answer any prayer according to his will. You and I need to pray according to his will and understand that that will give us a confidence boost in our assurance. That will give us a confidence boost in our communion with him because he promises us in verses like James 4, 8, if we draw near to God, then God will draw near to you, all right? He will draw near to you, but you draw near to him, and he will do that to you by praying what he's given us in his word. Last week we had, or two weeks ago, I guess, we had our active baseball camp, and um, it was great. Great turnout, great event. Uh, we had a lot of kids out there um, playing baseball, learning how to play baseball for the first time. It was just awesome. Uh, but one thing about baseball in general, but I think you can probably tab, tab it up to all sports, is Kids get discouraged. Anybody that's playing a sport gets discouraged because they're, they're slumps, right? You, go, you have highs, you have lows, you have ups, you have downs. And that happened even throughout the camp. You'd have some kids that, you know, one day they'd be hitting the ball well or catching the ball well, and then the next day it wouldn't be going so well, and they'd get a little discouraged. But I also had great coaches there as well in these, this baseball and softball camp. Um, I had great coaches that were there, and these coaches were great because they've played the game or they've coached the game. They had some experience with the sport. And so they understand that, hey, it's not always going to be picture perfect. It's not always going to be great. There's going to be some highs. There's going to be some lows. And whenever the kid would be in a drought, then the coaches would do things like, hey, I'm going to toss you an easy one. Let's get an easy catch under your belt, right? Let's get an easy hit under your belt. I'm going to toss you, uh, toss you a soft toss, and I want you to hit the ball. And what that would do when the kid would catch the ball and he finally hit the ball, then that would build this confidence, right? Because they went back to the basics, and they went back to the simple. They went back to the, the foundational things that would build their confidence. Guess what? You and I also have a leader. We also have a coach. And God is our coach, and he's always leading us. He's always giving us ways to, to build our confidence and our assurance with him, and that's through his word. 
And so sometimes before we go to our podcast or our favorite book or all these other things that, that we try to do to, to self-manufacture our confidence, the thing that you and I need to do, whether we're a new Christian or we're a seasoned Christian, is get back to God's Word and just obey what He's commanding us to do. And when we do that, He will build our confidence. He will strengthen our assurance. He will allow us to know that we are in Christ, and that will give us encouragement to do this all the more throughout the rest of our life. We need to obey what Jesus has commanded us to do. Obey what he's commanded us to do in his word. Open his word, read his word, and then obey it. Right? And we need to love others sacrificially. Sacrificially loving others will allow you to put the focus back on Christ. And then at the end, we need to pray what God has given us in his word. And when you do that, when you do those things, and God will boost your confidence. God will boost your assurance in your relationship with him. And you'll have that, and that will continue to grow each and every day of your life. Wouldn't you stand with me and let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us an ability to have assurance in you. You don't just give us a, a task and that we have to aimlessly approach, we have to aimlessly find out. Lord, you've given us specific commands on how we can obey you, obey you how we can have confidence and assurance in our faith through your word. And Lord, I just pray that we would be challenged to to be in your word, to study your word, to meditate on your word, to love your word, and allow that to, 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 to stimulate our assurance in you. Because we need that, Lord. There's always things, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's things that come up, there's situations, circumstances in our life that will always uh, try to pull us away from our connection with you. But Lord, we know and we're confident based on your word that if we obey what you commanded, we go back to the foundations of doing that, regardless of the circumstances in our life, you will bolster our assurance in you. You will build our confidence, and we need that all the more the day draws near. Lord, I just pray that this would help us, help us to do that all the more. Lord, we are so grateful for all that you do. We're grateful that you give us the Spirit, the Spirit that leads us and guides us to glorify Christ. Lord, help us to do that well as we go about our week. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 